Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Hey there. Thanks for being here. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. Well, it is so difficult for child stars to make the transition to adult stars. And so on today's show, I want to center on two who did make it. One I knew and one I wish I knew. Now, the one I wish I knew is Natalie Wood. Yes, you know I'm obsessed with Natalie Wood. Well, not to compete with Serial or all of those unsolved murder mystery podcasts, but what did happen that fateful night in 1981? Lots of questions. Sorry, RJ, but I'm going to be asking them. And I'm also going to talk a little bit about her career and some things about Natalie Wood that you probably don't know. Then you'll meet Anne Gillian. She was in a movie with Natalie Wood, Gypsy, and I went to junior high school with her, and we have remained friends ever since. She's had quite a career, movies, she was on Broadway, she did a sitcom, It's a Living, that went for a long time. You probably have a major crush on her. And then... There was a movie of the week called The Anne Gillian Story. Now, you have to lead an interesting life to have a movie of the week made about you, and it was the highest-rated movie that year. She also toured with Bob Hope and has a hilarious story of entertaining the troops with him during Operation Desert Storm. So a lot of good stuff. Let's kick it off right now. Hollywood and the Readers of my blog, buykenlevine.com, know that when I don't have an appropriate picture to go along with a post, I always put up a picture of Natalie Wood. And it has gotten to the point that people are more excited to see the picture of Natalie Wood than to see what I've written that day. But the point is, I have always had an obsession with Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood is my all-time favorite actress. And it really started back when I was a teenager. I think I was 15 at the time. And my dad took me to the Pantages Theater in Hollywood to see a comedy called The Great Race. Now, this is not exactly the sexiest movie that Natalie Wood has ever done. It's a very broad comedy. 
And yeah, you know, there are some very sexy moments in it, like the fact that she gets pelted with 7,000 pies. But still, there was something about, and I had seen Natalie Wood before in other movies, but uh, 15, puberty, that day, whatever. I saw Natalie Wood on the screen, and I just plotzed. It was like, oh my God. There was just something about her where I was completely transfixed. I was kind of like the wolf in those Warner Brothers cartoons, you know, where the eyes just like pop way out of their heads like on springs. Well, that's the way I was with Natalie Wood. And so I then just started watching every Natalie Wood movie that I could find. Some were very good. Uh, A lot of them weren't. But still, a couple of my favorites were Love with a Proper Stranger. Not because it was that great a movie, because it really wasn't, but the fact that she played an Italian girl in it, and her love interest, who was kind of a bad boy, was Steve McQueen, who also played an Italian. Now, just think about that for a minute. Steve McQueen playing an Italian with those blue eyes and everything. Yeah, that was great. West Side Story, of course, she plays Puerto Rican, but I really kind of love that. I know it was not one of Natalie's favorite movies because she wasn't allowed to sing in it. And as great as an actress she was, she was not that great a singer. And, of course, West Side Story has a great score by Leonard Bernstein, lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. And it takes some chops to be able to sing those songs. And so Marnie Nixon overdubbed her part. And then later, Natalie Wood starred in Gypsy, which was also from a Broadway musical. But on that one, she insisted on singing for herself And the results are kind of mixed. By the way, in that movie, playing a child, was Anne Gillian, who you will meet later on in this podcast. And Anne told me that Natalie was really nice. Of course, I had heard that from a lot of different sources. But working directly with her, Anne Gillian said that Natalie Wood was very sweet, very approachable, Very nice, very gracious. When I interview Anne, by the way, I don't really talk about that because, you know, it's not really cool when you're interviewing somebody to say, hi, thanks so much for being here. Now let's talk about somebody else. Anyway, Anne had nice things to say about Natalie Wood. Another movie that is certainly a standout is Rebel Without a Cause, which was from 1955. And it's truly an exercise in overacting. And that was kind of the style back then. But you watch it now and you just go, Jesus Christ, is there not a single piece of furniture that doesn't have teeth marks on it? Also, it's weird because a lot of people who were in that movie died under strange circumstances. In addition to Natalie Wood, it starred James Dean, and we all know what happened to him. Also, Nick Adams, who committed suicide, and Sal Minio, who was murdered. So it's just kind of a weird Hollywood Babylon thing with Rebel Without a Cause. Now, Natalie, as a lot of you probably know, was a movie star since she was nine years old. She starred in Miracle on 34th Street, 
and went on from there. And, of course, it's very difficult for actresses to make that transition from child star to adult star. And a lot of people don't know this, but in the early 50s, she was actually on two sitcoms. She was in a 1953 sitcom called Pride of the Family, lasted one season. And then the next year, 1954, she was in a sitcom called Mayor of the Town. You just don't think of Natalie Wood as somebody who is in sitcoms. Now, here's something else that you should know about Natalie Wood. When she was a kid doing one of those movies, there was an onset accident. She, like, fell into a river and she broke her wrist. And when they reset the bones, they didn't do a perfect job of it. And she had a bone kind of protruding from her left wrist. As a result of that, in every single movie since... She always wears a bracelet on her left hand. Go back and take a look at pictures. Go back and take a look at movies. Anytime you see Natalie Wood, she is going to have that left wrist covered by a bracelet, except one time. You know, and it's really the essence of erotica, being able to see something that you're normally forbidden to see. So there is a scene in the movie Splendor in the Grass that was directed by Elia Kazan where she's in a bathtub. And it's kind of bizarre to be in a bathtub naked except for a bracelet. And Kazan was able, after I'm sure a lot of discussion and pleading, he was able to get her to take off the bracelet. So when you watch that scene... And you are a Natalie Wood aficionado like me. You know, forget about the fact that uh, she's supposed to be naked and you're supposed to imagine her topless and that sort of thing. Yeah, forget about that. It's like, oh my God, you get to see her left wrist. Her left wrist is naked. And for those of us Natalie Wood fans, that truly is exciting and it's also a cry for help. Natalie Wood slept with Warren Beatty, who was in that movie. In fact, uh, she had uh, a number of suitors who she uh, slept with in her day. Nicholas Ray, who was the director of Rebel Without a Cause. Sinatra, duh. But a couple of people that you might not think. Robert Vaughn, that's right, the man from Uncle, was a boyfriend of Natalie Wood's for a while. And... Then rumor has it, and I'm not sure if this is true or not, but Raymond Burr. Now, if you're of a certain age, you know who Raymond Burr is. He played Perry Mason all those years ago in the 50s and 60s, and later he went on to play Ironside. But he also was one of the first actors to come out of the closet and declare himself gay. Oh, he was also in Godzilla back in the 50s. But supposedly... Raymond Burr had an affair with Natalie Wood. And uh, God knows who else, but she was married for a long time to Robert Wagner, RJ, as they call him. 
that marriage was on again, off again. And from what I understood, and I've read just about every Natalie Wood biography there is, but from what I understood, it was very tumultuous and she did not have a particularly happy life. And of course, a lot of that stems from having your typical stage mother they moved out to Southern California so that the mother could get Natalie into movies and help support the family. And from all accounts, Natalie was just this happy-go-lucky, really sweet kid who was just out to please people. And she tried to be as normal as she possibly could. She graduated from Van Nuys High School in the San Fernando Valley, along with fellow classmate Robert Redford. But the pressures of Hollywood and the pressures of trying to please everybody and having this domineering mother, it was very tough on her. Uh, it's, it's very sad, you know, because you like to think that these stars lead fairy tale lives. Obviously, in the case of Natalie Wood, she did not. I only got a chance to see her in person one time, and that was when my partner David Isaacs and I had a development deal at Lorimar back in the early 80s, and we were situated on the MGM lot in Culver City, and we were in the commissary one day, and Natalie Wood walked in. She was filming her then-to-be final movie, Brainstorm, but Natalie Wood came into the commissary. And again, for me, it was another one of those, oh my God. And you have to understand, I've grown up in Hollywood. I see celebrities all the time. I don't get very excited. It's like, oh, okay, that's fine. And Dustin Hoffman, shorter than I thought. But actually seeing Natalie Wood in person was unbelievable to me. And then like three, four weeks later, she died. And this is the part where things get really dark because there's a big mystery surrounding the death of Natalie Wood. If you are unfamiliar with the story, number one, she hated the water. And a lot of it was as a result of that accident as a kid. But she was terrified of the water. She'd never go swimming. She'd never take movies where she had to swim in pools and everything, and certainly not in the ocean. She was terrified of water. Well, they had a family yacht, and this was around Thanksgiving in 1981. And she was on the yacht with her husband, Robert Wagner, and also Christopher Walken, And of course, anytime you have Christopher Walken involved in any story, there's always a lot of mystery and intrigue involved. Anyway, they were in Catalina and they were getting drunk one night and they were going from club to club to club. And finally, they went back to the boat and late at night, supposedly, Natalie Wood was sleeping and RJ and Christopher Walken were in the cabin talking drinking, doing drugs, God knows what they were doing. And then as the story goes, apparently there was something that was keeping Natalie up at night. There was a sail that was flapping or something. So she put on a big puffy jacket and she went out onto the deck to try to somehow stabilize 
this sale or whatever it was that was causing the racket and somehow slipped, fell off the boat, and then drowned. But some questions still need to be answered. What was she doing out there? It seems like somebody who was afraid of the water would not be going out by herself to try to fix some sail. She'd ask the captain, she'd ask RJ, she'd even ask Christopher Walken. She wouldn't do it herself. And so there was some speculation that, well, maybe, just maybe, she was pushed. She didn't just fall off the boat, she was pushed. Why would she be pushed? Well, who knows whether first she got up and went to RJ and walking. Maybe that's what was keeping her up at night, not the flapping sails, but the two of those guys yelling or doing whatever they were doing. And who knows? Maybe it wound up in a big argument. Maybe she found RJ and Christopher Walken sleeping together. I don't know. Maybe RJ found out that she had an affair with Christopher Walken. I don't know. But it could have been just some wild, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf type of argument that got out of hand. And somehow, Natalie Wood, the person who is afraid of the water, found herself in the drink. Okay, that's number one. Now, number two... There were some other boats that were nearby, and some of the people in the other yachts claim that they could hear somebody screaming for help. And if that's the case, and you figure, well, sure, she's going to fall and she's going to go crazy and scream her bloody head off, how come RJ didn't hear it? How come Christopher Walken didn't hear it? How come nobody heard it? They supposedly didn't know she was off the boat until hours later. Well, did they hear it? Were they just too drunk to react? Did they think that she was just, uh, you know, the girl crying wolf? Were they so blitzed that they legitimately didn't hear it? Did they hear it but ignore it for some reason? Hmm. So there were so many questions attached to this that it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what happened, but there are two people who definitely know what did happen, Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken. Natalie Wood was 43 when she died, And I always had the thought in the back of my mind, well, she did two sitcoms before. Maybe someday she'll do a sitcom again. And if she ever wanted to do a sitcom, you know who would be writing for her. Anyway, Natalie, wherever you are, I love you. I will continue to love you. And I will continue to post your pictures on my blog. This is Hollywood and Levine coming back with more right after this. Welcome back. 
and Jillian was in Disney movies, was in the Twilight Zone. As I mentioned, she was in Gypsy with Natalie Wood. She was a regular on the sitcom Hazel back in the 60s. Then when she grew up, she starred on Broadway. She was in It's a Living. Actually, she was in three sitcoms. There was also a movie of the week about her life called The Anne Jillian Story, and she went on USO tours with Bob Hope. Meanwhile, Anne and I went to Parkman Junior High School in Woodland Hills together, and she was nice to me even then. And if you're of a certain age, as I mentioned, you're probably still in love with Anne Jillian. She's really a great person. Happy to have you meet her. Recently, we had a chance to sit down and get caught up. Okay, and uh, you probably don't remember the very first time we met. Ann and I went to junior high school together back in the room, and uh, this was the seventh grade, and we had a music class. And the teacher, who really was sadistic, had all of us, one by one, come up and sing something. She wanted to know how well each of us sang. And, of course, we're 12 years old. We're terrible. And one by one, it's just terrible just you know like you're giving a cat a bath and then all of a sudden this angelic voice sings over the rainbow and i remember looking up going what the hell is that oh my god and that was you and then immediately after the very next person they called upon was me <laughs> And, you know, the tumbling tumbleweeds, you know, my voice <laughs> cracking. So thank you for still speaking to me because I figured after that, oh, my God, that's that's probably the most embarrassing way to meet somebody oh, ever is to Ken, humiliate themselves. Yeah. I was probably incredibly nervous. I didn't know it at the time, but you were already doing movies. You know, you'd go away for like four or five weeks and we just thought you had pneumonia or something. And instead <laughs> you're doing the Twilight Zone. But you never gave off the vibe that you were anything other than just a, a regular kid. You know, I never got the sense that you were a 12-year-old diva. I wasn't allowed to be anything other than a good kid, so I was a good you kid. Were a I good tried kid. to be. I okay. tried to be. But, you know, it was interesting because I remember when I think back to my years in uh, high school and in junior high, I always thought of myself as being a little bit more of a loner. I didn't run around with a clique because I did work, so I didn't have a a chance to to become really tight with a lot of people. And I I was a little bit more on my own. Now, there's no film of me growing up, which is probably a good thing. But I wonder, when you see yourself as a kid or anywhere throughout your career. Is it very strange to just watch footage of yourself? Do you even recognize that person, or do you just remember the circumstances, or do you not even watch at all? Well, I don't like to watch myself as an adult, mainly because when I look at myself on TV or or in a film, I always know what I wanted to do, and it makes me uncomfortable because if I didn't do it, then nobody else knows about it. But I'm squirming on the Kid inside. Kid Danson's the same way. Oh, oh, yeah. I can't, I yeah. can't stand it. Uh-huh. I can't stand it. It's done. It's over. Okay, let's go on. Let's move on now. But as a child, um, I remember I did the same thing. The only thing is now that I'm no longer a child. I see that child, and I know the future. So it's 
a little bittersweet because, you know, there were great things, but there were also some challenging things in my life as time went on. So you're doing Sugar Babies. And when I met you then, you were also doing a cabaret act. It seemed like you were kind of on a track to like be another Bernadette Peters, to to be a singer, Broadway star, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you took a left turn and literally and went back to the West Coast and became an actress again in It's a Living. Was that a real crossroads for you? Do you want to pursue music or do you want to pursue acting or you just kind of took what came along next? I loved whatever I was working at at that particular time. But I was so happy to get back to the West Coast because I really did love Mm -hmm. the whole medium of television, of film. I just loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So did you hate uh, sitcom writers because we're always giving you changes and new lines and... Every time you like you, you have something memorized, and then there's a run through, and and then you come back and you go, oh Christ, well, there's a whole I, new that, page exactly. here. Exactly. Well, after a couple of those uh, feelings, I thought to myself, you know, why am I why am I committing this to memory right away? And right. and I'm sure I caused a lot of people close to heart attacks because they thought she doesn't have it committed to memory yet. Uh-huh. But I waited until the absolute final one. I never studied my script at night. Hmm. I I was with my child. I wanted him to have my complete attention. Again, you're just, you're such a normal person. I can't believe you've had such a long career. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It just kept coming. But you continued to sing. Oh, yes, with Bob Hope. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you did some of those Bob Hope tours. Oh, I did. (laughs) You sounded like him. Yeah. 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 And Julie and everybody. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. Yeah, for, for the younger listeners, Bob Hope was a longtime comedian. And really, from the time of World War II, every Christmas, he'd put together a group of performers and they would go and entertain our troops wherever they were. And he put himself in harm's way a, yeah. a number of times. And so he would put together these troops. And where did you go? We went to, in 1983, we went off the shores of Beirut, Lebanon, which was the hot spot at that time. Right. And uh, we performed for the fleet. Mm-hmm. And uh, our hotel was the USS Guam, <laughs> <laughs> which we called the Beirut Hilton. And we would be taken to each and every single ship on military helicopters, and the jets would kind of fly with us, cocooning around us. Uh-huh. Uh, other times we would be, I remember one particular time when it was after curfew and they had to take us back to the USS Guam, but they couldn't fly. They had to transport us in a Foxfire boat. A uh, Foxfire boat is a, a military boat where there's a guy in the front who's a SEAL and a guy in the back who's a SEAL. It's got a, a machine gun in the front, a machine gun in the back, and you sit on bullet boxes uh-huh. and it's in inflated. And so one of the guys says to us, if we capsize, um, <laughs> don't call That's out. what you want to hear. Don't worry about it. We'll find you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and all I could think about <laughs> were the nasty things that were underneath that water, you know, because right. the, the, I understand there's a lot of stuff there that's kind of unique to that area. Uh-huh. But Bob, there's a vision in my head. Imagine this man. There's kind of an eerie red color there because it's all 
pitch black. You're out in the ocean and right. it's pitch black. Right. And the red light is kind of illuminating this wake that is coming up behind him. And he's sleeping with his masseuse. Not not with his masseuse, <laughs> but, <laughs> but masseuse All is right there next to him. All of a sudden it becomes a carnival cruise. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. And he always had his masseuse with him because all he needed was a little bit of foot massage and he was ready to go. Our Pied Piper. He was incredible. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you see this big looming edifice and it's the bottom of the ship, the USS Guam. And there's this teeny tiny little floating I don't know what you would call it. Like a little landing? Yes, it was like a little uh landing, but they said, okay, you're going to have to time this and jump on it. (laughs) It was crazy. You know, what? And so Bob says, watch this. And he jumped it. He timed it completely right. And I said, okay, fine. If he can do it, I can do it. I waited and I jumped in. I said a prayer because, you know, if you miss, that's it. Because you're going to be squished. Right. Okay, so now we're on this landing, and now I'm thinking, oh, they're going to open up the back, and we're going to go up in in the hangar. No, no such luck. We had to climb up a rope ladder rope all the ladder. way uh-huh. up, and you know how many stories up it is to go in a uh, up the side of a big, huge ship, an aircraft <laughs> oh, carrier. Man. So. He went ahead of us, and here's this man once again. I'm going, oh, my God. He's probably, what, in his 70s then, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh And then the SEAL says, okay, look, whatever you do, just go up one at a time. Don't look down. I'll be right behind you. Don't look down. So what, of course, do I do when of course. I'm three quarters of well, the way up there? Well, when they tell you not to do that, I, know. You have- <laughs> I grab, I grab the ladder and I hug it. And he goes, okay, 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 okay. You did it, but let's let's get going. Let's get going. So I I started to crawl up, and I was shaking, and he helped me to get up over the the top. And Bob was laughing. Everything is going great, and then 1985. Uh, 1985, you're diagnosed with breast cancer and you very courageously decide to go public with it, which obviously could be detrimental to your career. Why did you decide to do that? Because uh, I felt a kinship with other women, including my own mother who had had breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And I watched her keep it quiet and kind of like shove it under the rug. And I thought, why? We didn't do anything wrong. And there's a lot of other ladies out there that are suffering with the same notion that I have to be quiet or I'm embarrassed about it and whatever. So, you know, I know that it could very well have been a death knell to my own career because after all, I had been predominantly known as as a bombshell. bombshell and showgirls. Yes, and, and, yeah. and everything. And that was so prominently a part of who I was. But I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm an actress too. I've never showed myself naked on on, a, <laughs> on TV, in a TV movie or, or in a film. So None of the Disney movies. No, none of the Disney Disney movies movies required me to take my clothes off. Right. So I figured, well, you know what? What's the difference? I didn't Mm -hmm. then and I won't now. It's amazing when you have a challenge like that and you're facing your mortality, these other things don't really matter all that much. Mm -hmm. 
then the press came and then the, I'm barely out of anesthesia and I've got somebody coming, <laughs> you know, it was, it was uh, my, and my agent too, uh, an, a, an agent from the literary department whom I've, I've never known because I, there was never any need to. Right. And he called my husband and he was in the, in the room and I'm, I'm still groggy and they're saying, don't worry about, don't worry about, we'll get a book deal. And Andy goes, they'll get a book deal. And I said, I don't want a book deal. <laughs> I want to get well. I don't want a book deal. And then from that point on, boy, I, I didn't stop working. I worked more than I did before I had the breast cancer surgery. Interesting. And I continued and had another Emmy nomination for the Angelian story because Brandon Tartikoff, who was the head of NBC television at the time, sent me a copy of the People magazine cover that... The story that they did. Right, you were on the Chronicling cover of People that. magazine. <laughs> and he, with a big marks a lot, he wrote MOW on it. And he says, please call. They let you audition for the Angelian story? <laughs> yeah, I know. I <laughs> they were there thinking of, 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 of Heather Thomas or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. You? Yeah, yeah, I know. Actually, <laughs> actually, at one point after I agreed to do this, and the reason that I agreed to do it was because Brandon told me two things. He said, my doctor... And he was going through his own health challenges sure. at the time. He died young, yeah. Yeah. My doctor said, it's too bad that you don't do a movie because in one night I could reach more women than he did in his career in a lifetime. It's true. Mm-hmm. And he says, and secondly, there's a script going around about an actress and her husband who happens to be a police officer, used to be <laughs> a police officer. And you might want, if you want to maintain authenticity, you might want to think about doing this because otherwise people out there are going to assume that it's you. And I said, okay, then I'll do it. And so from that point on, it's kind of been a movie that's been shown a lot. And I get a lot of letters saying that ladies who were watching it check themselves out and had their checkups and and sometimes found it and found it in time to save their lives. So I, I'm very grateful. It's a great movie, but I do have a bone to pick with you. And what, what's that? Where was I? <gasps> where, where was I in the Angelian we, story? But we didn't get to the early part. Yeah. yeah. Well, was I? Tell me I was in there but cut out. Brad Pitt played me and I was cut out. Oh, uh, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. what it was. All right. That's All right. <laughs> My last question, when you were doing the Angelian story, did you ever go up to the writer and say, no, my character wouldn't say that? <laughs> Actually, I did. <laughs> I did. I, I, and, but for me, it was, uh, I didn't say that. Or th- No, 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 no. This is way too serious because that's not the way we dealt with it. And thank you so much. I'll see you at the uh, high school reunion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't wait. Honestly, I can't wait. It's so good to see you. So good to see you. Oh, my goodness. God bless you and all the wonderful work that you've done and keeping us all so entertained and laughing. God bless you. Likewise. Thanks, Anne. Thank you. Okay, that'll do it for this week. Oh, one final thing about Natalie Wood, and this is how ridiculously obsessed I am with Natalie Wood. The only time I ever went to Catalina, what did I do? I retraced her steps that final night of her life. Yeah, like I said, it's a cry for help. 
If you want to get in touch with me, if you have any details on what really happened to Natalie Wood, uh, you can always email me at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Again, that's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Thanks so much as always to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Huffman, John Wolfert, and Randy Thomas. Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. And again, I don't know why, but they keep telling me, plug this, that I could use your five-star review. Again, thanks so much for listening, and I will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Hollywood.